The Apostle Paul has been addressing the Romans about life in the Spirit and that we're heirs with Christ. And then he focuses on the future glory. And we're going to start reading at verse 18, and we'll read to verse 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Thus far the scripture reading. Let us now sing God's praise with Psalm 77, stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 5. Psalm 77, 1, 2, 4, and 5. Let's read that particular passage one more time. Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. After the sermon, let us sing Psalm 138, stanza 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are truly living in momentous times. Now, I'm not thinking of the fact that we're living in a dynamic computer age. I'm not referring to Muslim terrorism. All these developments are noteworthy enough. But our times are momentous, ultimately, for an entirely different reason. After all, the things just mentioned will not basically change 
our situation here on earth. The groaning creation will continue. The travail will only go on and on, and the coming years will give more of the same. So why are our times so momentous? Well, they're so momentous because we live in the time that the Old Testament prophets prophesied as the last days, the final age of this world in its present form. We live in the last days when we know that the promised Savior has already come. He has already triumphed over Satan, sin, and the darkness and brokenness of life. And we know that in principle our Savior has triumphed already over disease, over sickness, even over death and grave. And so Christ can make the difference now as we live on planet Earth, as we experience our joys, as we experience our struggles and sorrows. Christ has come. We live in an age that is different from the Old Testament dispensation. He has already come. He has opened up the way to the Father, to the most holy place, in a way unknown before. And we can enter into the Father's presence in faith by way of prayer. We can go to the throne of grace. And Christ himself is there at the Father's right hand, interceding for us every time our prayers reach earth and go to heaven. He makes it possible for us to be right with God. But that's not the end of the matter. Precisely because of the victory of Jesus Christ, seated in glory on high, our age is also the age of the Holy Spirit. Let us not forget the Holy Spirit. We live in a time of the Spirit who has been poured out on Christ's church. The Spirit has also been poured out on us as we form part of the Holy Catholic Church. Now, that has enormous implications for each and every one of us. For now, when we go to the Father in prayer, prayer because of the brokenness of this world in which we live, when we go to the Father in prayer with our heartaches, with our questions and sorrows, then our text tells us we must also think of the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is also involved in getting our prayers to Father in heaven. And so the Lord our God provides for his people. We have an intercessor, a mediator on high in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. His presence in heaven means that we can draw near to the throne of grace and the rest of God. But we also have an intercessor, a mediator right here on earth. Yes, by God's grace, he even lives within us as believers. We have a mediator right here on earth so that our prayers may keep going up, keep ascending from this fallen world and from our broken lives and go up into the very presence of God. For as our text makes clear, the Spirit's intercessory work is of key significance For our prayers. And so, our theme for the preaching this morning is this the Holy Spirit intercedes for us so that our prayers to God may continue. And we'll consider three things. We'll consider the reason for this intercession, 
the manner of this intercession and the result of this intercession. The subject of the intercessory work of the Spirit comes up as the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians at Rome about their hope as children of God. As we saw in our scripture reading, the problem of affliction and trial and suffering is being dealt with. And then we read in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then God's word goes on to show us the comfort and encouragement we can derive from the fact that we have a hope. As verse 24 puts it, in this hope, we were saved. We are people of hope. We have hope. And even though we may be in distress and in a world hostile to the cause of Jesus Christ, and even though creation is groaning and groaning, Yet, there is that incomparable glory to be revealed. And with this sure hope, they in Rome and we today as Christians are helped. We're encouraged. Now, just as that hope for better things to come encourages and helps us, in the same way we read in our text, the Spirit helps us. In a similar manner, we can also derive comfort and encouragement from the Holy Spirit and his work because the Spirit helps us. If we are to understand this work of the Spirit, which, as is clear from our text, is an intercessory work, especially with respect to our prayers, then we must clearly see why the work of the Holy Spirit is needed. Well, it's because of our weakness, our infirmity. The text says he helps us in our weaknesses. What are those weaknesses? The term used is a very general one. It's very comprehensive. And because it's so general, one could say that it refers to the physical and spiritual weaknesses that have entered our lives because of our fall into sin. So there's physical weaknesses like becoming sick or being of a weak constitution or mind. This can also affect one mentally, spiritually. It can make one tired in mind and depressed. It can make one discouraged and perplexed and burdened. Well, all these things are covered under infirmities and weaknesses. Notice, and this is important, these weaknesses and infirmities are not sinful in themselves, but they are the direct results of sin coming into the world. A weakness has entered the human race, and we're all affected by it. Probably the key result of this weakness, or these weaknesses, which tie all the other effects of weaknesses together, is this. We can no longer clearly understand we can no longer clearly see through the issues that affect our lives. Because of our physical and spiritual infirmity, we have become severely limited in our perception, and we're really ignorant about our true needs. And because of this, our weaknesses show itself, especially when we pray. Situations can arise 
when we don't know what to pray for, all we can do is say, why? Because we can't see through the situation, we don't understand the dilemma we're in. As our text puts it, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Some translations, some modern translations have, we don't know how to pray, how to pray. But that's not the issue. The problem is not that the Roman Christians or that we do not know how to pray or how to go about praying. We know that. We know that we can go to the Father by means of the Son. We know how one must approach Holy Father in Heaven with humbleness and reverence, with awe and contriteness, with thankfulness and joy. We know how to pray. That's clear in Scripture. Christ has taught us even the Lord's Prayer. So that's not really the issue. The problem is this. There are difficulties and trials. That's the context of our text. And now the difficulty is, what am I to pray for? My life is a mess. I'm in great need, but I don't know what to say to God. What is fitting in my situation? What do I need? Because of our weakness, we cannot see the way out. We cannot see through the difficulty. As one person has put it, we see the disease, but we don't know the name of the medicine. We don't know what we should be praying for. Any one of us who has been perplexed, distressed, or who is struggling against weaknesses, be it physical or mental, knows that such praying is not an easy matter. Oh, to approach God is relatively simple. We come into his holy presence. The road has been opened by our Savior. But what do we say when we are in front of the Father in heaven? What are we to ask him for? What are we to pray for? We really don't know ourselves because we can't see through the situation we're in. We don't know what's good for us. We may be praying for the wrong thing. A good example of this can be found in the Apostle Paul's own life and troubles. The Apostle knew what he was writing about when he penned the words of our text. At one point, the Apostle was in tremendous difficulty. He had what he called a thorn in the flesh. He had some physical or perhaps mental deficiency, which really hindered him in his work as an apostle. Well, he's an apostle. So naturally, he prayed to God, please remove this thorn. I can better do my work as an apostle if this thorn is removed. So please remove it. Three times he earnestly beseeched God to do this. But then he realized that he'd been praying for the wrong thing. Because the Lord had made it clear to him that that thorn or that weakness would stay, it would not be removed. As the apostle puts it in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, He, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then the apostle sees the light, he accepts the thorns, and he learns to live with it. 
He learns to live with that with which he was convinced he could never live with. He learns to cope. Yes, he even learns to glory in this wonderful way of God handling his life. As we read in 2 Corinthians 12, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so what the apostle first prayed to be removed, he later glories in as evidence of the power of God in his life. And now our difficulty as human beings living in this, the last age, is exactly the same. There can be occasions when we simply don't know what to pray for, what is best for us. Who could have imagined that Paul's thorn was good for him, even as an apostle? And yet it was. It was necessary. Another example of this sort of thing is found in Psalm 77. We sang four stanzas from Psalm 77. And you will have noticed that the poet is complaining bitterly. He feels abandoned. He's in distress. He thinks God has left him. And then suddenly the tenor of the psalm changes and he praises God for his wondrous ways. Because God gave him the insight to see through the situation. He knows now that what has happened to him has a purpose in the great deeds of God. And so he accepts it and in Psalm 77 articulates his praise to God for God's ways. Now, we mentioned that it is our physical or our mental weaknesses because of sin coming into the world that can make it so difficult for us always to know what to pray for. Now, it's noteworthy that our Savior was subjected to exactly the same limitations and problems because he came in the likeness of sinful man. That's what it says in Romans 8 verse 3. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in a body that had limitations as a result of the fallen human race. That meant, among other things, that our Savior knew sorrow. And our Savior could not always see his way clear. And therefore, on occasion, even our Savior sometimes did not momentarily know what to pray for. Think, for instance, of John 12, verse 27, where the Lord Jesus says, My heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Now, our Savior answered his own question. But the point is, he knew of the perplexity. What shall I pray? What shall I say? Think also of Gethsemane, where our Savior beseeched the Father and said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
In this context, it's always good to think of what we find in God's word in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. It says in Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 8, this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. He learned obedience from what he suffered. Christ also had to learn to obey his heavenly father through suffering, through the weakness of his flesh, which was in the likeness of sinful flesh. He too could cry to the father, does it really have to go this way? He learned also from what he suffered to see God's way and God's purpose for his life, and he followed through. As a human being, he learned to see through the weakness of his flesh and to glory in the purposes of God. Now, when you stop to think about this, knowing all of this is very, very comforting for us living today. Because it shows that our weaknesses and our inability to perceive is not in itself sinful. Oh, our physical and mental infirmity is the result of sin. But in itself, it is not sinful to be stuck and not know what to say. For Christ himself, who was without sin, came in the likeness of sinful flesh and he experienced Similar things. You know, the devil can so easily come close to us when we're in distress and whisper, as it were, in our ears and say, You know, you don't know what to pray for? You don't know what to ask your Father in heaven? How can you be a child of Father in heaven if you don't know what to say? Isn't this a terrible sin? Are you still really God's child? Hasn't God abandoned you? Well, when the devil tries to tempt us that way, we can answer being perplexed, being speechless before the throne of the Almighty, not knowing what to say or to pray for. Yes, that can indeed happen to children of God. And this weakness is not in itself sinful. It even happened to our Savior. It can happen. And when it happens, there is in all that trouble and difficulty a beautiful dimension of comfort for the children of God. For it is precisely in this connection that Romans 8 speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. This takes us to our second point, the manner of the Spirit's intercession. Our text says... The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. This word help is important. It shows that in the Spirit's working for us, he does not push us aside. He does not exclude us. No, he helps us. In other words, he doesn't do it all for us. We are not passive bystanders. The word help that is used here is a very colorful word in the original language. It calls to mind the image of someone 
who can't handle what he's carrying. He needs help. The burden is too heavy for him alone. And then a helper comes along and says, as it were, you take one end of the burden, I'll take the other end, and we'll carry it together. And so the load is carried together. And so the Holy Spirit helps us. How? Our text says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words, with groans that words cannot express. So when we're in a loss, what to pray for, and we don't know anymore what's what, when we're confused and mixed up because of calamity or whatever, when we are in such perplexity that we cannot express our needs, our desires, and we're speechless, then the Spirit intercedes with groans that words cannot express. But we are not passive, for the Spirit helps us. How then does the Spirit intercede with those groans and sighs? Well, he does not do it independent of the believer. The Spirit is in our heart. And in Scripture, the heart is the center of our consciousness. The Spirit works in our heart, and he works, as the context of the suffering creation shows, he works in our hearts the desire for a way out, for liberation out of this misery. Exactly what we need or exactly what we want is not clear to us. We cannot bring it under words. But what we do, we do, is we groan. We sigh for a way out. There's a fervent desire worked in our heart. Oh, may there be a way out. And that desire is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In this way, by means of the groaning and sighing of the troubled child of God, the Spirit himself is interceding for us. He is the author of the groans, but he uses us to bring expression to them. He does not do it independent of us. We find a similar work of the Holy Spirit elsewhere in Scripture. For example, in Galatians 4, verse 6, we read, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls Abba Father. Now, the Spirit does not say Abba Father. We say Abba Father because God is our Father. He's not the Spirit's Father. And yet our saying our Father is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our words bring the Spirit's work to expression. And now it's exactly the same with the sighs and groans of a child of God when we are perplexed and when we don't know what to say anymore. Those sighs and groans are the work of the Holy Spirit. It is his work as our advocate, as our intercessor. One could put it this way. The Spirit finds us perplexed. We do not know what to say, but the Spirit tells us what to say. Just as a good lawyer can prompt his client and tell him what to say, so the Spirit does to us when we are all mixed up and perplexed. He puts in our mouths what we are to say. So notice the work of intercession on earth is different 
from Christ's work of intercession in heaven. In heaven, Christ, as our advocate, does the talking. He pleads for us. On earth, the Spirit works through us and as an advocate tells us what to say. He has us speaking to our God. This work of the Holy Spirit is a mystery to us, and yet its reality cannot be denied. How many children of God, how many of us here together this morning have not been at a loss and did not know any more what to say to our Heavenly Father? And all we could do is groan and sigh. Well, the Apostle tells us, be encouraged by that because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He prompted those groans and sighs to come. He worked them up. One could say, yeah, but those groans and sighs indicate that we don't know where we're at. Indeed, they are groans, they're sighs. But because those groans are the work of the Spirit in us, therefore they are not empty of content. They're full of meaning. The content of that prayer of wordless sighing transcends the articulated formulations of our requests. The Spirit fills those sighs and groans when we are desperate. He fills them with content, real content. For through them, the Spirit is speaking to the Father. Through them, the Spirit intercedes for us. And therefore, when we as children of God are perplexed and can only groan, it's precisely then when we feel down and out, then we can take heart. For in our groaning, an intelligible prayer is ascending to the throne of grace. For the groans are the means of the Spirit to intercede for us. Through them, our needs, our true and real needs, are brought directly to the throne of grace. Yes, our real needs, because the Spirit knows exactly what to pray for on our behalf. Those groans are real prayers. Human beings often judge a prayer by its fine oratory and its beautiful choice of words. But such prayers are not necessarily the most pleasing to God. And they're not necessarily the work of the Holy Spirit. For when the Spirit is involved in our prayers, even our groans and sighs are prayers pleasing to God. And therefore the groans of a confused child of the Lord has the music of hope and redemption in them. Because the Spirit, He knows what to pray for. He knows what is needed. And the Spirit's prayer gets results. And this takes us to our third point, the result of the Spirit's intercession. Yes, the Spirit gets results. For in the first place, the wordless groaning and sighing is understood by God. He knows what those groans mean, for God knows us. We read in our text, he searches our hearts. He searches our hearts. He knows why we're groaning in misery. He knows about our perplexities. He knows about our discouragements and questions. God searches our hearts. 
That is the first reason why God understands our groans. But there's more involved in God's understanding our sighs and moans. God can read those unintelligible groanings. They're without words. But he can read them. For not only does he know the heart from which they come, God in heaven also knows the mind of the Spirit, who by means of these groans is interceding for us. And therefore God reads those groans like an open book. They are intelligible to him. Although we do not know what to say, we cannot articulate a specific request. Yet God can read in our groans the specific detailed requests of the Holy Spirit who is interceding for us on our behalf, who picked up the ball, so to speak, and who carries our prayers, our true needs to Father in heaven. And so God can read in those groans the detailed message of the Spirit. God can do that because God knows how the Spirit thinks. God knows what the Spirit wants, and therefore he knows the meaning of those groans which the Spirit has worked in us God gets the message. He knows exactly what we need. And when God gets the message by means of the Spirit's intercessory work, then he approves of what he hears because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit who intercedes is also God. He knows the eternal purpose of God. He knows what God has in mind for our lives, for each and every one of us. And therefore, when the Spirit prays for us by means of our groans, then his prayer is very much to the point. The Spirit can pray in agreement with God's eternal will for us, and God answers those specific requests of the Spirit in a positive way. So what's the point of all of this? Well, it's this. As we travel through this world as pilgrims, each one of us individually, we travel as families, we travel as congregation through this world as pilgrims and as strangers. And just like creation around us, we also go through times of perplexity, trials, and hardships. But as we travel on in this life, we know we will always stay in touch with our Heavenly Father, always. We will stay in touch by way of the prayers to his throne of grace because we've got an intercessor at his right hand, Jesus Christ. And our prayers therefore reach the throne of grace because of his work. But we also have an intercessor right here on earth, right in our hearts, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And when we sigh and groan because we don't know anymore what to say, then the Spirit makes those groans into powerful prayers of intercession, prayers with definite content that go to the Father's throne, prayers the Father cannot refuse. You see, we live in truly momentous times. There is action from heaven on our behalf when we in this fallen creation are speechless, discouraged, and dumbfounded, when all we can do is groan for a way out, then the prayers of the Spirit go up for our well-being, prayers that God hears and approves and will answer. It is indeed true what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 20, 
where the Apostle Paul wrote this, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. Yes, for who would have thought of two intercessors, one in heaven and one on earth? Well, God did think of it, for he knows us, and he has provided accordingly, for he wants to see us make it through to the time when infirmities and weaknesses are no more. Amen.